We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Uh, To Luke chapter 7. We're going to finish out chapter 7 this morning. Uh, And some of you are thinking, wow, finally, you know, through seven chapters, you know. Well, we've got a ways to go, so. Uh, That's all right, though, because here's the thing that I'll keep telling you about walking through a gospel like this. You know, we use that word gospel a lot, and we'll talk about it some more even next week, uh, next week's message as we start into chapter 8 and what that word gospel means. Uh, But when we talk about the gospel, we are talking about who Jesus is and why that matters for us. Why that matters eternally for us. Why it's good news. That's what that word means. It means it's good news. And so when we look at the gospel of Luke, we're looking at the good news of Jesus Christ. We're looking at who he is and why it matters for you and me. And so we're going to take our time walking through what Luke has to say to us about Jesus because there is nothing more important for you and I than to understand who Jesus is. There's no more important question because Jesus is the singular most important figure in human history. He is the one who has had an impact on our world like no other person ever. And so you have to know who this man is. You have to make a decision about him. Either he is God come to save his people or he's not. Either this, this man's life and his words and what he did through the cross and his resurrection are good news for us, or it's not. And so we're going to keep looking at who Jesus is in Luke's gospel. So turn to Luke chapter 7, and if you're at home or, or even here and you don't have a hard copy, maybe you've got a, a device on which you can look up the YouVersion Bible app, and you can pull up uh, Luke 7 there and follow along with us. It'll also be on the screen behind me, and I believe on your screen at home, too. So uh, Luke chapter 7, uh, we're going to be uh, in verse 36 through the end of the chapter this morning. And as you're turning there, I want to ask a question, because questions have a way of getting us to begin thinking about what we're about to read. So the question is, do you struggle to love people? And not just people, but do you struggle to love a certain kind of person? See, if we're honest, uh, you and I, we all answer yes to that question. That we struggle to love people and we struggle to love certain kinds of people. Think about the person that, that in your life it's hardest for you to love them. We've all got somebody. Probably multiple somebodies. Okay? If we're honest, people get under our skin. Right? Some people are just harder for us to love than others. It's more difficult for us. And so for some of you, there's names coming to mind, there's faces coming to mind right now, even as I speak about this. And, and for those names, for those faces, what words would you use to describe that person? Don't say them out loud in case they're sitting next to you. Okay? 
Some of you got that sooner than others. That's okay. There's grace. Um, <laughs> but, but, but think about how you would describe this person. Those words that you would use to describe them, that's the kind of person that it's hard for you to love. That's the kind of person that it's difficult for you to understand how to act and feel and think in a loving way towards them. Well, this morning, we're going to look at Jesus and the way that he loves people, the way that he loves us, and the way that he loves all different kinds of people. We're going to look at how he loves religious people and sinners, We're going to look at how he loves men and women, young and old, Jesus, because he is God, the God who made us in his image to be like him and to represent him. He has a deep, deep love for us, a love that transcends the things that we've done or not done. A love that is greater and deeper most often than the love that we have for one another. And we're going to see a a woman in this passage today who begins to understand something of the love of Christ for his people. And how by turning to him in repentant faith we can be forgiven, cleansed, made new. And when we understand just what it is that Jesus has done for us, we respond to him and even to others with a deep, deep love. So turn with me at Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. We're going to see in this passage a religious man and a sinful woman and how Jesus responds to both of them. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. So I'm going to read a few verses and we'll talk about the first point here and then we'll uh, read the rest of the passage and go into the second. Here's what Luke writes for us about this encounter that Jesus has with this religious man and this sinful woman. He says, one of the Pharisees, these were the elite religious scholars of the day, one of the Pharisees asked him, asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Would you pray with me just one more time? Lord God, you have something to say to us this morning. Just as you spoke to Simon, this religious man, so many years ago, you have something to say to us today. So God, I'm praying that you would speak it. Speak it through your word this morning. Help me as your messenger to convey 
the beautiful truths of this passage, what you're saying to us and, and how it should shape and mold our hearts and lives. God, that we might have a greater understanding of your deep love for us that, that brings about in us a deep love for you and the people made in your image. God, we need that even more so today than we have in days past. And so, God, we pray for your grace. We pray for your wisdom. We pray for your Spirit's help as we seek to understand your word together. Speak to our hearts and make us more like Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you remember, we talked uh, a few weeks back about two kinds of religious people. The Pharisees were, were a religious people. They were very religious. They, they even made rules and laws around the rules and laws that God had given his people. And they did so to kind of set up some boundaries to make sure that they wouldn't transgress the laws of God. And so they were, they were a people of rules, of laws. They, they lived their life according to their ability to keep these rules and keep these laws. And they thought that they were righteous, that they were good for doing so. And don't get me wrong, there is nothing wrong with the law of God. There's nothing wrong with the Old Testament. In fact, you cannot understand the New Testament and the Jesus revealed to us there without the Old Testament. The Bible is one whole book delivered to us by God through his messengers, through his prophets, through his apostles. And they wrote words about God for you and I as they were inspired by God's own spirit to do so, as he led them to do so. And so, so we, have to, we have to value both testaments, both covenants, to understand them because if you don't understand anything about the old, it's really hard to understand how beautiful the new covenant relationship that we can have with God is. And just how amazing what Jesus has done for us is. And so, so, so when I talk about the Pharisees and their view of the law and how they kind of made these extra rules and kind of surrounded the law with them and how they were overly religious in some ways and religious in some bad ways even, I'm not saying anything negative about what God has delivered to his people in terms of his law. I'm saying that people sometimes take God's words and add to them, twist them, and and it gets really messy when we try and add to what God has spoken. Because unlike God, you and I are fallible. We make mistakes. We're, We're a mess, and we need God's help. And so, so when we talk about this, these two kinds of religious people, here's what we talked about. We talked about how there are law-driven kind of religious people, like the Pharisees, and then there are love-driven kind of religious people that are much more in line with what we see in the person and work of Jesus, much more in line with the kind of good and godly religion that we hear James, the brother of Jesus, talk about. So there's these two kinds of religious people that religion itself is not a a bad word. It's not a bad thing. Religion can be a good, godly thing that leads to the flourishing of humanity. 
when it's about coming to know God for who he is, loving him for who he is and what he's done for us. And then that love shapes us. His love for us shapes us so that we love those around us in profound ways as well. There's a deep, deep love that God has for people that results in a deep, deep love in us for people as well. And so religion itself is not bad. Religious people in themselves are not bad. But there's a law-driven kind of religion that is absent of love, is absent of a genuine understanding of who God is, the God of love, the God of truth, justice. And is absent of a true understanding of who human beings are, men and women created in God's image with inherent value, dignity, and worth. And in this passage today, we see one of these law-driven kinds of religious people, this Pharisee named Simon. And he sees this sinful woman, and all he sees is her sin. He doesn't see a person. He sees what she's done. How tempting is that for you and I? How often do we look at people this way? We see them for what they've done or what they've not done, not for them being created in the very image of God himself, not for them being a human being, a person, a person that, yes, has, has sinned against God and other people, but who no doubt has also suffered much in this life at the hands of others. You see, people are complex. Each one of us, we're, we're complex. We're made by God with incredible value, dignity, worth. And we're also those who have rebelled against God and, and, and done sinful, evil things. We've rejected his good plans for us. We've pursued our own plans, our own ways, our own desires, thinking that we know better than he does. And we've made a mess of things. We've made a mess of our own lives. We've made a mess of the lives of others. But it's not as simple as, as saying, okay, we were creating God's image as good, and then, and then we sinned against God. It's also that we live in a broken world and we suffer as well. You see, you see this difference between how the Pharisee, Simon, and how Jesus see this woman. We'll see that here in, in just a few moments. But the first thing that I want you to see in this passage today is that Jesus loves and associates with all kinds of people. He loves and associates with sinners. Just a few weeks ago, we read earlier in chapter 7, the, the Pharisees, once again, they were complaining about John the Baptist and Jesus. John the Baptist was the forerunner who came before Jesus to prepare God's people to hear from Jesus and what Jesus was about to do. And, and they complained, here's the irony, they complained that John was too religious. He was too much of a, of a fanatic, so he, he must have had a demon is what they said. And they said, he's, he's kind of weird, he's got some problems, He's out in the desert, he's eating locusts, and he's, he's wearing all this funky stuff and some honey mixed in there, and I guess honey's okay, you know. But all the other stuff, that just seems like he's probably got a demon. 
So they had a very negative view of, of John. And then, and then they had a very negative view of Jesus himself, too. Jesus, the accusation they made against him, that he wasn't religious enough. You see, he was, he was called a, a friend of sinners and tax collectors. Tax collectors were viewed in this culture as, as the most evil, wicked men because they were traitors. They abandoned their own people to work for the Romans who oppressed them. And so to, to be a friend of tax collectors and sinners was a serious accusation. You see, we've already seen in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners, that he loved them deeply. But here's what we see in this passage. Jesus' love isn't limited to sinners. He also loves the law-driven religious people. Did you catch that? You see, we've seen him eat with tax collectors and sinners, and, and that idea kind of warms our hearts, doesn't it? We want to be like that. We want to be the kind of people who, who love sinful people, who love people whose lives are a mess. Because if we're honest, our lives have been a mess. And apart from God and his grace and his redemptive work in us, they would continue to just be a mess forever. And in some ways, they still are. And so we want to be like Jesus. We want to love tax collectors and sinners. We want to love people that others don't. And we should. We should. You've heard me say that already. But if we think that the only kind of people that Jesus loves are sinners, then we're still missing something about how deep Jesus' love is for people. Because while law-driven religious people might be harder to get along with for some of us, Jesus ate with them. Do you see that? Jesus didn't just eat with tax collectors and sinners. He ate with the religious people, the people who constantly criticized him, the people who said terrible things about him. The people who, at one point in the Gospels, we read they accused him, too, of having a demon. Jesus ate with the people that are hard to love. Do you and I do that? Or is there a certain kind of person that is hard for us to love and so we just don't? You see, look at, look at how the Pharisee responds to this sinful woman. It says, uh, they're, they're, so they're all reclining at table. So in, in the ancient world, here, here's how they ate. They ate around this table, and they kind of reclined on these, on these couch-type things. They would lay on their side, you know, and, and the table would be in the, in the center. And, and they would lay on their side, and their feet would be outstretched kind of behind them. And so they're, they're reclining at table. When it says recline, they, they mean reclining. That's how they gathered and ate. And so they're reclining around this table, and they're eating. And, and in the ancient world, uh, you know, if, if you've seen uh, The Chosen, uh, if you've seen this, you know, short TV series so far, uh, it's wonderful. You should definitely watch it. It's amazing. 
Um, but if you've seen it, you see kind of what this must have been like at different points, where, where these, these homes were a little more open than you and I would expect a home to be, where people could just kind of come in as you were eating a meal. They were accessible. And so here, Jesus has been invited to this Simon the Pharisee's house, this religious man. He's been invited because he's a teacher, and this Pharisee has heard him teaching, heard about him and what he's been doing, so he invites him to his house for a meal. And eating together in, in the world then was a very significant thing. It represented fellowship, some level of a kind of acceptance and wanting of a relationship. And so Jesus is invited to eat at this man's home, and while they're eating, it says in verse 37, a woman of the city who was a sinner, most likely, according to some commentators, a prostitute or an adulterer. The point is, is that we're not told exactly what the nature of her sin was, but that the whole city knew that this woman had done some terrible things, that she was a sinner. That's how people viewed her. This woman is a sinner. She's a woman of the city. And so she comes in. When she learned that Jesus was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, she brought this alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. You see, here's this woman. She comes in to this meal she wasn't invited to. And she sees this man who she's heard so many things about, who she's heard has brought healing and deliverance to people that had no hope. Maybe she's even heard him teach once or twice. Maybe she's heard some of the things that he's been saying and, and she begins to realize who this man is, that he is the Messiah, he is the Savior, he is the Christ. And that by coming to him, she can be forgiven no matter what she's done. No matter what has plagued her life. And so she comes in, she crashes the party. And you have to imagine that it was really uncomfortable. You ever crashed a party somewhere you weren't invited to? And somebody figured it out, they knew. Maybe not, but you can imagine how uncomfortable that must be. She crashes the, the dinner party, and, and she's, she's in the midst of it. And, and not only does she crash the party, so it's not like she's just standing there kind of watching awkwardly, and you know, they can continue their conversation. She goes up to Jesus' feet right behind him, and, and she begins to, to, to cry. And, and not just like a tear or two. This woman is sobbing. She's soaking his feet with her tears. You ever cried like that? You ever been at a spot in life where, man, you were so desperate. Things were so hard. You just lost it. I mean, the tears just wouldn't stop. That's the kind of experience this woman is having is, is she has lived a life without hope and finally she sees hope and she just begins to weep and her, and her tears are likely complex because they're probably filled with sorrow and hope and joy all at the same time. 
because human beings are complex. You can imagine that she's probably sorrowful and regretful over the things that she's done in her past, who she's done them with, the shame that that's brought on her and her family and her loved ones and her community even. And she's sorrowful. She's repentant. She doesn't want to be like this anymore. And so she cries out of sorrow and anguish, but also out of hope and joy because sitting in front of her is the one person who can actually do something about her sin and her shame. This heavy weight that she's been carrying for so long, here's the one person who can do something about it and she knows it. And so she sobs, she weeps, and she wets his feet with her tears. And then she, she dries him and she anoints him with ointment that she's brought. It's maybe one of her most valuable possessions. She uses this ointment, most valuable thing she owns maybe, to anoint this man's feet. Oil was usually used to anoint the head. And she anoints his feet. You see, she's coming to Jesus in utter humility and desperation. She's saying, I have no hope apart from this man at whose feet I will bow because in him is my forgiveness, in him is my cleansing, in him is my freedom from sin and shame. And so she comes in sobbing and humility, recognizes who Jesus is. And the irony of it is, is the Pharisee, the religious teacher, he doesn't even begin to understand who this man is. But he knows who this woman is. Look with me at it. Now the Pharisee who had invited him saw this and he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, this man were sent from God to speak for God and on behalf of God to speak God's words. That's what a prophet does. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she's she's a sinner. You see, this religious man, he views this woman as that sort of person. You see, there's this, there's this evil wickedness in all of us that begins to see people as that sort of person. And we do it with different kinds of people, right? Sometimes we do it with, with sinful people like this, this woman who have lived lives that we disapprove of, that God disapproves of. And we say, they're that sort of man. They're that sort of woman. Law-driven religious people particularly often write others off as as being less than human because they, they fail to live like us. They fail to look like us and they don't share our religious devotion so we start to write them off. They're that sort of person. You see, in our context, you know, law-driven religious people, they often write off the gay man or the lesbian woman. 
they often write off the black or brown individual who cries out about social justice. I have to write a, off a variety of kinds of people because we don't live this way. We don't, we don't think this way. We don't say these things. So we begin to view people, individual people, men, women, made in God's image as, as that sort of person. We begin to write them off. Do you write people off? Do you write people off because they're they're just black people? Or the opposite, or gosh, white people and the things they say, so ignorant. Do you write people off because they're, ah gosh, old people? Or if you're older, do you kind of look on young people more condescending? Say, gosh, young people are so irritating. If they would just get their act together. Do you write people off because they're Democrat or Republican? Because they support Biden or Trump? Do you write people off because they're religious or not? Do you write people off because they go to church or they don't? Who is it that you say they're that kind of person. And because of the things that they've done or not done, the things they've said or not said, you begin to think about them as less than human. Because if we're honest, we all do this. We're all tempted to do this with someone in our lives, with some kind of person or some kind of people. We're all tempted to view people this way instead of viewing them the way that Jesus does, really seeing them. Let me just talk to those of us who, whenever I talk about these two different kinds of religious people, law-driven and love-driven religious people, those of us who assume that we're in the love-driven kind of religious person, that we're the good kind, kind of gets it, Maybe you are. Maybe you really do see some things the way that God sees them. Maybe you really do love God and you love people with a deep, deep love. But here's what I've noticed in myself. And, and if I've noticed it in me, then, I, then I'm sure that it's, it, it's not uncommon, that it's also in, in some of you as well, that, that we have this tendency to view those that we think are more law-driven, religious kind of people as that kind of person. And we begin to dismiss them. And if they invited us for a meal, we wouldn't be like Jesus and heartily accept the opportunity to have fellowship and talk. We'd be annoyed wouldn't we? Can, we? can we be that honest? Where we would just say that like those of us who think that we're pretty good at loving the sinful kind of person, tax collectors and sinners, that maybe we fail to love the religious kind of person in the way that Jesus does, where he eats with them, 
or he talks with them, those who are most critical of him. I heard a, a pastor tell a story this week about how there was this church member that he'd had for 10 plus years and all of a sudden they wanted to have him over because they had this list of things, of complaints they had against him. And, and maybe he was a little apprehensive going in, you know, and, and so, but he goes to meet with him. Here's these people he's loved on for 10 plus years, tried to serve as best he could. And he knows they've got this list of complaints against him. And he goes and he hears them out. He talks with them. I think they even ate together. <laughs> and he, he hears them accuse him of thing after thing on this list they have. And not one of the things was true. He, and he even told them, listen, I've, I've never done any of those things. And they said, well, we think you have. And he didn't leave. When he left that night, when he got home, his, his wife was expecting him to be upset, frustrated, grieved, as many of us would expect. When people say things about you that aren't true, when they make criticisms about you, we kind of expect him to be hurt, right? He came home and he was overjoyed because none of the things were true and he'd had an opportunity to sit with people who thought them and actually have a conversation. And I thought, man, God help me. Because I think I would feel hurt. I think I would be bitter. God help me to, to love people like that. Do you see how sometimes we can love one kind of person and not the other. You see, we do this all the time, but when we look at Jesus, he doesn't do that. He shows extravagant love for the sinner. And he also eats with the religious guy who's nothing but critical of him. There's a, a, a real challenge to a deeper kind of love here. To not write people off, no matter kind of what side of this equation we think they're on, whether they're a sinner or a religious person, to not write them off. To love like Jesus has loved us. And the thing is, we can only do this if we understand the way that Jesus has loved us. So I wanted you to see that he's eating with this religious man before you see what he says to him. Because Jesus loves this man as well. But with that said, let's look at how Jesus responds to this man. He says, Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. This is the moment where Simon should have realized that things were not going to go well for him. Jesus says, I've got something to say. And he's heard about this man, what he's been doing, the things he's been teaching and saying, and he's heard about how it confounds people and amazes people. And, and, and Simon's thinking, I'm in the right here. Say what you got to say, teacher. So Jesus, he uses a parable. 
parables are, are illustrations that, that illustrate certain truths in a helpful way. And, and they're honestly a, sometimes a more helpful kind of confrontation and persuasion than a direct confronta- confrontation. They, often, they illustrate something for someone so it's easier to understand what you're saying, where you're coming from. Jesus is a master of parables. He, he teaches these in amazing ways we'll see throughout the gospel. So he's going to say a parable. Here's what he says. He says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One uh, owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. So just to put that in context, here's what he's saying. There's this, uh, there's this man who gave two loans out to one guy. He loaned him a year and a half of wages. He'd have to work for a year and a half and then some, because he'd have to use some of that money to pay his own bills. I mean, he'd have to work for a long time to pay this guy back. 500 denarii. It's a year and a half worth of days of wages. It's a pretty deep hole to dig yourself out of. And there's the other man. He made a loan of, of 50. It would have been about 50 days' wages. About two months. Some of you are thinking, that's a pretty deep hole, too. I mean... That's the point. The point is is that both of these men have a debt that's going to be really hard, if not impossible, for them to pay. But one man's debt is even greater. It's, It's extravagant. So he says there's a certain money lender, two debtors. One owes 500, one owes 50. Then verse 42, when they could not pay, see, it's impossible for them to get this paid. He canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. Did you see how he said, I suppose? I mean, it's obvious. The guy who got his debt canceled of 500 is going to love this guy more, right? But Simon's starting to realize, like, I, I think I see the hammer coming. I think I see where this is going. And so he says, I suppose it's the guy who owed more. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? You see, Jesus actually sees the woman as a woman made in God's image, inherent value, dignity, and worth. She sees her as a person. He sees her as a person. Simon, he doesn't actually see her. And he sees her sin. He sees the label that he's given her. She's a sinner. Jesus says, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. It was a common courtesy for for guests who wore sandals on dirty roads all day long that when they came to your house to eat that you would give them some water that maybe you had a servant that would wash their feet for them after a long day. He says, you give me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, with all that she has. With, with the, she doesn't have anything, but she's still providing for me what you haven't. You gave me no kiss. You see, disciples would, would kiss a teacher's hand, and, and, and teachers who are on the same level as equals, they, they would kiss one another on the cheek as equals to greet one another. 
And so Simon, the religious teacher, the Pharisee, invites this rabbi, Jesus, this teacher, to come eat with him. And he doesn't even greet him with a kiss, which was customary. He doesn't say, hey, we're, we're on the same level here. He ignores that entirely. Jesus says, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You see, the woman, she's kissing his feet, which is, which is saying she's, she's humble before him. She realizes who he is, that he is the Messiah. He is the king. And so she bows at his feet and she kisses his feet because she knows she has hope in him and there's no one who can do what she needs but him. 46, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Oil would have been used to refresh the face of a respected and honored guest after a long day in the hot, scolding sun. And she doesn't just give him some oil for his face. She, she anoints his feet, again, showing her humility and her recognition of who this man is. So Jesus says, Therefore I tell you her sins, which are many, Jesus is saying, we could say she's on the five, O's 500 side of things. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. You see, that statement that he just made to her there is incredible because they would have known that the only person who could forgive sins is God himself. You see, they lived in a day where you had to go to the temple and make sacrifices to God for the hope of being forgiven. But that only God could declare you forgiven if you came to him in repentant faith. And so Jesus, he says to her, he declares that she is forgiven, something only God can do. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? They're saying only, only God can do this. So they're beginning to recognize some of the things Jesus is claiming about himself by what he's doing, what he's saying. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, it was her faith in Jesus, who he is and what he's able to do, that saved her. It was her faith in Christ alone that brought her forgiveness. And so whether, whether Simon actually got the point, we don't know. But Jesus uses this illustration. He says, hey, here's somebody who is 500. Here's somebody who is 50. And yeah, all, all sin results in the same thing. All sin separates us from God and results and death and destruction. But there is, a, there is a, a difference between different kinds of sins. Some of them are more devastating. I know I've told you guys this story before, so I'll just kind of sum it up. But I heard a story from a pastor in California one time when I was attending his church for the week, and... Uh, he told this story about this little boy in Uganda who had been brutally uh, left to die in the bushes by a witch doctor 
who had used him as a part of a ceremony. And how this surgeon in the U.S. Ha, had volunteered to, to put him back together again and to, and to help him. And, and that as a part of all this, this little boy, he, he trusted in Jesus. He got saved. And, and not only was he physically restored through medicine and such, but he was spiritually restored. He was made alive in Christ. Then the pastor, he goes to... Uganda on a, on a trip, and, and this witch doctor has been arrested, which was unheard of. But he's in prison, and he wants to meet with the pastor, and the pastor goes in to meet with him, and the witch doctor says, I've been reading this book, and I want to know, how can I be saved? How can I be forgiven? You see, here's this little boy who was the victim of a horrific abuse and evil. He didn't know much. Trust in Christ comes to know Jesus. And then here's this witch doctor who knows a lot. He's done some really terrible things. He's a sinner. And that day, as, as hard as it was for the, for the pastor, he's just kind of wrestling with it, as probably you and I would be too. You know, seeing this man repent, there's like some mixed emotions, you know, but he turns to Jesus in repentant faith. So here's the point. Sometimes we've done some awful things in life. Sometimes we're in that 0 and 500 category. Sometimes we're not. Sometimes we're over here in the we have 50 category. Either way, we can't pay our debt. Either way, our only hope is this Jesus who pays our debt for us so that we can be forgiven by God. And so the, the first thing we looked at was how Jesus loves and associates with all kinds of people, religious, irreligious, sinner. But then we have to recognize that Jesus offers forgiveness to all kinds of people as well. But he's most loved by those who understand that they're forgiven much. And so whether you think you're in the 500 or the 50, that's not the point. The point is... Do we understand, like this woman did, that we need to be forgiven much? That we need this Jesus just as desperately as she did? And because if we don't, then we're missing the point to you. If the deep, deep love that Jesus has for us doesn't bring about us a humble, repentant faith where we kneel at his feet and we weep tears of sorrow and tears of joy because of what we've done and because of what Jesus has done for us, then we're missing the point. If the deep, deep love that Jesus has for us doesn't bring about this desire to come to him in humble faith and this deep, deep love for him, a kind of love that's going to spill out into our love for people, 
and we've missed it. Have you missed it? Or do you know, like this woman does, unlike the Pharisee did, because he should have known it too, that you need to be forgiven much and that Jesus is offering that to you today. I'm going to pray for us. And and if that's where you're at, where, like this woman, you want to come to Jesus, you want to be forgiven, then would you please reach out to us? I I know things are kind of complex because social distancing, and I can't, like, shake your hand or anything, but, man, I'll stand six feet apart from you, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you more about him. Or you can, you can email me. You can, you can call us. Like, we want to talk about this because, like I said at the beginning, there is nothing more important in your life than to know what to do with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed by your deep love for us, regardless of where we're at. We see in your son, Jesus Christ. We see that, God, you love the sinner and you love the religious person who doesn't see their sin. And you want us to see it and you want us to turn to you in humble faith, repentant faith. You want to forgive us. And so, God, for my friends who haven't yet turned to you or or who haven't seen the depth of their sin, I pray that you would show them. Because, God, we can't know the depths of joy that come from knowing forgiveness in Christ unless we see it first, unless we see our need for it. So, God, show us and help us. Help us to turn to you and not to just hear this message and then walk away and go on with our lives. But, Lord, would you transform our hearts that we might understand how deeply you've loved us and that that love might transform how we love you and how we love people. We ask that in the mighty, forgiving, and saving name of Jesus Christ. Amen.